Well, good morning. Good to see everybody today. Hello, anybody out there? Oh, you're staring at the little ones. I get that. Yep, I understand that. My, my uh, nephew got married uh, yesterday, and we had a little, a little newborn there, and it was like they'd won the gold medal. Everybody was like around the little newborn because he was so cute. Let's pray. Father, thank you for scripture. We pray you would bring it alive for us as we dive in today. Lord, we, we need to be reminded of this great love you have for us. So help us. Help us bring scripture alive. Shoot it like a fiery arrow to our souls. Christ's name. Amen. We're continuing a sermon series on the Proverbs. We've been talking about there are two voices in life. And Proverbs is speaking and declaring and describing these two voices. Voices of wisdom and voices of folly. Words of wisdom and words of folly. And sometimes those voices are really loud, like NPR and Fox News and ESPN and advertisements at Target and maybe your you know, voter ballot, whatever it is. They're really loud and you're trying to discern them. And sometimes the voices are really What voice are you listening to? You're listening to a voice. You're choosing to listen it. So am I. And we're choosing to follow it. So you have to discern which one am I listening. Well, today we are talking about fear. Turn with me over to Proverbs chapter 1. If you have a, don't have a Bible, there's one right in front of you. I encourage you to bust it open. And uh, if you don't, you can go on your phone or whatever kind of version of technology you have. And so we are in Proverbs, and today is the softball. Today is this huge nugget. It's the core of all of Proverbs. Today helps you unpack everything else in Proverbs. So we're going to read verses 1 through 6, and then you're going to see 7 on the screen. So the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. All this is just an intro, right? To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. Okay, let's get ready, right? And no one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and saying the words of the wise and their riddles. Here we go, ready? Verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Eighteen times in Proverbs it talks about the fear of God and it attached to everyday life. It's saying if you want wisdom in life, all of us want wisdom in life. The beginning of that is to fear God. Listen to some of the other ways. Just You don't have to look them up, but listen, I'm going to read them quickly because there's 18 of them. I'm not going to read them all. Do not be wise in their own eyes. Fear the Lord, Proverbs 8. Proverbs 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Same thing as this one. Proverbs 14, 6, a wise man fears and departs from evil. Proverbs 14, 26, in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. Proverbs 15, better is a little fear of the Lord than great treasures and trouble. Huh. Better is fear of God than lots of stuff that we accumulate. You ever thought about that? I don't think about that much. I like to accumulate stuff. 
The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. So over and over and over and over and over and over and over is this notion that fear of God is the birthplace of great wisdom, of really important things for life. Now, if you're saying, ah, fear is not that bad. We've got it all figured out. What do you think we've been doing the last 18 months? What has been part of the cloud over our life the last 18 months? Has it been joy? Oh, these last 18 months have been hot. No, it's been a lot of fear. Let's be honest. Raise your hand if you've had some fear in the last 18 months. If you're not raising your hand, you're lying like a rug. It has been a difficult, it has been shrouded in fear. Sickness, death, loss of job, economy. You name it. The, the, the wedding I went to uh, a couple days ago of my uh, nephew, uh, my other nephew has a newborn, and they were, had some fear. Do we bring the newborn with all these people? Have they been vaccinated? Have they not been vaccinated? How do we do that? Those are difficult questions for a newborn baby. There's some great fear in there. I have some slides that, that, that uh, are great pictures of fear. Here's the first one. Go ahead and show the first one. Ooh. Raise your hand if you like snakes. You want a couple of those in your bed? No, well, kids are raising their hand. That's interesting. Remember Indiana Jones, the great person? What did he hate? Okay, next slide. Ooh, spiders. People are scared to death of spiders. I don't mind a spider. Snake, not so bad. Spiders, eh, not too bad. What about the next one? You know, we laugh at that. For some people... The scale is a very scary thing. Did, you know, if you watch the Olympic trials, there were a couple Olympic athletes that have wrestled with um, uh, their weight. Professional athletes do all the time. If I gain too much, I'm not going to win. So I need to throw up. I need to starve myself. That's a great fear for a lot of people. How about the next one? Money. I've had more money than I could ever know what to do with. And I still get caught in fear of not having enough. I know you do. The wealthiest people in the world still fear they don't have enough. What about the next one? Just got to say it. Sadly, we've lost people because we weren't strict enough with those things. And sadly, we've lost people because we were too strict. We don't want that. But it's a great fear. How about sickness? Ah, oh, huge, huge fear. How about the next one? Being alone. That's a fear. All of us deep down. How about the last one? Being found out. What if people really know what I'm like? What if people really know what goes on behind closed doors? I fear people are really going to see me the way I am. There's even this fear. Some people say, I don't fear anything. Fear itself doesn't scare me. What are they really saying? They're afraid of fear. If we're that radical that we're afraid of nothing, it's because we're afraid of being fearful. So what are you afraid of? What is guiding your life? Is your fear helping you? Is your fear chaining you? 
Proverbs says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The end of Proverbs says this, A woman that fears God, she shall be praised. So the beginning of Proverbs is about the fear of God. The end of Proverbs is about the fear of God. So here's a couple questions. What do you fear? What fears play in your mind daily, hourly, right now? What fears right here? You know that fear. Right here in your gut. Or right here in your mind. So let's talk about this. What would they have understood? What have, would God's people understood when they heard that verse, the fear of the God is the beginning of wisdom? What would have God's people a long time ago, the Proverbs were written between the 10th and the 6th century B.C. So thousands of years ago, the Proverbs were written. What would God's people have heard when they heard fear God? Well, let's start with this. They would have understood that God created all things. God is the most powerful thing there ever was. God is the most powerful thing there will ever be. So they would have had this incredible fear in their mind. Look at the Hebrew word. Yurit. That sounds like tag, but that's the actual Hebrew word. And so the, the verb is year, Y-R. It's hard to come up with an English word. Um, it, it actually means fear and it means trembling, but there's so much more to it. Um, fear of God, the way God's people would have understand the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. It would have ranged from an absolute horror, being scared to death of a holy entity that I'm not, to a heavy-duty respect, an awe, a holy respect. God's people would have understand it of this subservient, this posture of, God, you are so much out there like this, and that's, I'm not like that. That's what they would have understood about the fear of God. And it's the birthplace of great wisdom. Not blogs, not news shows, not the internet, not your devotional book. God himself is the beginning of wisdom. Listen to the Psalms. There's a couple Psalms I'm going to read. You don't have to turn there. These psalmists uh, describe what God is like. Remember, the Psalms are the prayer book for God's people. The Psalms are prayers and poems and songs that have been written that God's people have prayed through for thousands of years. So in the Psalms, they describe what God is like. Psalm 114. When Israel came out of Egypt, Jacob from a people of a foreign tongue, Judah became God's sanctuary, Israel his dominion. And then listen to how they describe it. The sea looked and it fled. The Jordan River turned back. The mountains leaked, leaped like rams. The hills like lambs. Why? Why was it sea that you fled? Why, Jordan, did you turn back? Tremble earth at the presence of the Lord. The psalmist is saying that God is to be feared because he is powerful. The mountains leap in the presence of God. Have you ever stood in the middle of a river and it's going so strong you're afraid you're going to get knocked over? Raise your hand if you've had that before. Yeah, almost all of us, some version of that. When I started, started fly fishing, it didn't work so well. <laughs> it was too strong and I fell over and floated down the river, right? The psalmist is saying God is so strong 
that the rivers are rushing and they meet with God and they turn and they go the other way. The psalmist is saying God is all powerful. That's why we tremble before God and that's why we fear God. Psalm 50, listen to this. Psalm 50, hear, O people, and I will speak. God speaking through the psalms. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am your God. He says, not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, every cattle on a thousand hills. What is God saying? God says, I own it all. I don't need anything that you have. I am all-powerful, all-knowing. I started it, I'm going to end it, and it's all going to be about me. When God's people heard fear, that's what they were thinking of. He says, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. He says, I know all the birds of the hills. All that moves in the field is mine. God says, if I were hungry, would I tell you? Those are hard words. For God's people in the Old Testament, the fear of God was a real fear. God was powerful. God was honest. They should be scared. They lived in a holy reverence, a horror. God was not Mr. Rogers. He wasn't your high-five buddy. He wasn't your best friend. So when they hear the fear of the Lord, it was a real, honest fear. If you and I want to take God seriously, we've got to start with real fear, people. That is the gospel truth. We have got to start with real fear. We've got to take God seriously. We should be shaking in our boots. You can go to the next slide. Honest to goodness fear. That's what it meant in the Old Testament. From respect to honest horror and being scared of the power. To shaking in your boots, to not messing around, to not high-fiving God because he's so great and sweet and he's my chummy buddy. It was a relationship with the Almighty. And we better be ready and make sure that we've got it together. You can go to the next slide. We fear money, we fear getting sick, we fear so much, but do we fear God? Church, we must fear God. Are we living in a posture that we fear God because when we die, we're going to be in front of him? Are you ready? That's what they understood when they heard the fear of the Lord. Are we ready? Oh, the cross. Oh, the wonderful cross. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, and I pour contempt on all my pride. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did air and love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose 
so rich a crown. See, as Christians, we have the cross and the resurrection that now overlay the Proverbs. Oh, the wonderful cross, the wonderful cross bids me come and die that I may find and have life. The Old Testament fear was fear and trembling. Moses only saw the backside of God. God couldn't be touched. He couldn't be hugged. He couldn't be drawn near because he was perfect. And God's plan from the beginning was to die so we could do that. Now, as Christians, if you're in Jesus Christ, you can know God as your buddy. Woo! Somebody. Are you afraid of God? Are you here this morning and you're saying, I'm exploring Christianity. I'm trying to figure out if Jesus is real. I'm trying to figure out if God is real. Listen, we're so glad you're here. If you're saying, God is far away and I'm scared to death, I have a great invitation from you. It's called Jesus. And he is this wonderful invitation to take you from being scared in the corner to drawing near in love and grace. You see, the cross and the empty tomb change Proverbs' understanding of fear. If your fear is based on your morals and your being a good person, you're in for a world of hurt, eternal hurt. If you're thinking that you're going to take Proverbs and you're going to live into all these great wise things to get it figured out at the end, good luck. It's going to be difficult. But the invitation this morning is, oh, the wonderful cross. The empty tomb turns fear into faith, which is a gift. And it turns it into worship. See, the cross and the empty tomb term a scowling, God, you're so holy, I can't be near you. To God, you're running after me in the cross, too. I want to bow and be in worship of you. Turn over to uh, Mark chapter 5. Turn over to Mark chapter 5. It's this great, it's called the Markin Sandwich. You can get it at Brambleton Deli. No, I'm just kidding. It's called the Markin Sandwich. Mark does it a bunch. Other gospels uh, do it as well. But Mark in particular is the master at it. And it's these two stories sandwiched together. And they present what is the New Testament understanding of fear based on the Old Testament understanding of fear. What we see in these stories are people that should have had great fear, that should have kept them away, but it didn't. Here's how, uh, here's how the author Michael Reeves describes it. He has a book called Rejoice and Tremble, and he talks about this tension. He says, he explains that there are two different sources of knowledge about God. Each way of knowing lands to a different identification of God and consequently a different kind of relationship with God. In other words, a different kind of fear is what he says. Those who know God only through creation have a sinful fear of God because they're stuck in their sins. And they understand God only by his power without his character. That's one version of knowing God through fear. He says, in contrast, those who know God through Jesus Christ, they have a right fear, a filial fear, 
because they know God as their loving Father. They tremble before the Lord, not because God is far off, but because of the cross, God draws near. So if you're not a Christian this morning, you can come near to God in Jesus. It's a gift. Luther calls an open-handed receiving. Grace, forgiveness, a brand new life. Just receive that gift. It's the greatest gift you'll ever receive. And if you're like me, I receive it every day, every breath, every thought. So we see in Mark this great story sandwiched in between another story. Mark chapter 5, let's begin at 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came out one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. Okay, he's a synagogue ruler, he's a religious guy, he's probably wearing a robe. He was a leader in the synagogue. He should have not gone to Jesus. You're going to see what happens in a minute. His daughter is sick. They would have understand it was probably something they did. They should have been in, he should have been in fear of God, worried and concerned. God, you're so holy. You're so far off. I can't find you. My daughter's going to die. And look what he does. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, 22. Jairus by name and seeing him, he fell at Jesus' feet. The core word for worship is to fall down, to prostrate. So this guy comes for Jesus, his daughter's dying, and what does he do? Jesus, give me your HMO account number. He gets down low before Jesus. And he, look at 23, and he implored him earnestly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her. She may be well and live. She took fear of God and she said, I think God is in Jesus. And she turned it into faith. She said, Jesus, I believe you can do this. So turn over to, or look at verse 35. This is the um, ending of the first story. Verse 35. While he was still speaking, Jesus is speaking to the lady. We'll get to that in a minute. There came from the ruler's house, Jerry's house, someone who said, your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, and look at the words that he says. Do not... Oh, Barbara, you did it. Good job. What's the word there, people? Anybody awake out there? Come on, people, wake up. You guys slept in. It's 11 o'clock service. Do not fear. Believe. Trust me. Don't be in the corner scowling that God may help. Believe that I am God in the flesh and I'm going to bring healing right here, right now. If you're scowling in the corner in fear, Jesus is saying to you, come on out. Come on out to me. See my scars. Know my cross and empty tomb. Sure enough, Jesus touches her. She comes back to life. Let's go to the middle story. This is like the middle of the Oreo. You know, you got the two parts in the middle. Anyway, here we are. Okay, follow along, people. 24. So he's talking to Jairus, and then right in the middle is this other story. Verse 24. And he went with them, Jesus went with Jairus, and a great crowd gathered following Jesus, and they thronged about him. That means they were all over him. It was like a sporting event. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. She would have lived in complete, absolute fear. 
Nobody got near, nobody touched her, nobody wanted to be close to her. Certainly was probably not married. I highly, highly doubt it. She would have seen herself as a scorn, as an outcast of God. She would have said, God, I fear you because you are so holy and I'm not. And you should stay away from me, God, because I've been bleeding for 12 years. 25, 26. 25, had a discharge for 12 years, 26. And she had suffered much in the hands of many physicians. She had spent all she had. She was not getting better. She was rather growing worse. When she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind Jesus in a crowd and touched his garment, and she said, man, she had amazing faith. If I touch even his garments, I will be And she touched him, and boom, immediately she was healed just like that. And what's great about the story is Jesus is like, hey, uh, who, you know, hey who, who touched me here? You know, do you think he knew? Somebody said, of course he did. <laughs> That's right, yeah. I think he was calling her out. I think he was calling her out in love. Come on. You don't have to live in fear anymore. You can know me. He's saying, I am wisdom incarnate. I am love incarnate. Come and know me. So verse 30, hey, he says, who touched me? The disciples in verse 31 says, hey, all these people are pressing around you. What do you mean who touched you? Verse 32, and he looked around to see who had done it in verse 33. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, what did she come in? She came in. Here's your chance, people. She came in. Good job. She came in fear. And by the touch of Jesus, it went from faith to worship. So the proverb is the beginning of wisdom is to have fear of God. You see in Hebrews, there's these three great scriptures in Hebrews. I'm not going to read them, but I'll give you a quick one. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let us draw near to God with a sincere faith. Let us approach God's throne with confidence, Hebrews 4. So a little bit earlier, we sang a song called The Heart of Worship. In the 1990s, Matt Rebin was a worship leader at an Anglican church in Waldorf, England. And if you know any worship song nowadays, Matt Rebin probably wrote some version of it or was best friends with the person who did. But in the early 90s, Matt was a pretty new young guy worship leader, kind of hip with the jeans and everything. He was in this Anglican church. Mike uh, Pilavachi was the head pastor there at this Anglican church. And uh, they were a growing church, lots of young folks um, in England. And Mike felt like the church had become stale. He felt like people had lost their fear of God. They had lost what it meant to be in awe, to be in respect, to have faith, to be in worship. And so he said, hey, for this next season, we're going to strip away all the instruments. And of course, Matt was like, what, am I fired or what? You know, I'm like, I'm the worship leader here. This is what I do every week. And now you're stripping all this stuff away. And Mike said, yeah, we're going to strip it away. And church, we're going to gather on Sunday and we're just going to sing with no instruments. He said, I want us to get back to the heart of worship. And that's where that song came from. Matt wrote that song one night. He says, when the music fades, all is stripped away. Literally, they were stripped away all the instruments for a season. 
We're not going to get together and have the lights and the cool slides and the great guitar solo. We're taking away all that. We're here simply to be in worship, to be in awe and respect and holy faith and a God who is huge and mighty and massive, who came down and went to the bloody cross for a bunch of rejects like us. And the tomb was empty. All is stripped away, and I simply come. Something that it's worth to bring you. I want to bless your heart, God. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper. Through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. That song took off and is one of the most popular songs ever written in worship. It's about fearing God. It's about moving from scowling to embracing to celebrating. You see, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom because God, through the lens of the cross and the empty tomb, draws us with an invitation. See, the wisdom giver is saying, I died on the cross. Come home. You can go to the next slide. The fear of God in Jesus allows us to stop running, but instead see God running after us. The fear of God says, God, stay away. And the cross says, God says, I'm coming in. I'm going to find you. I'm going to find you in your fear. I'm going to bring you home. The fear of God in Jesus allows us to stop hiding in fear and instead be found. That brings freedom and worship. Last slide. What fear has you chained right now? We can fear God in Jesus and we can crawl up into God's lap by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. What fear is nagging you? When you leave here today and all the worship good feelings go away, What's that still voice that you feel like is chaining you? That's playing in the background of your life that you're drowning in. Jesus died so you can be free from that. So you can draw near to him in that. This morning is about calling out to the rescuer. Jesus, the incarnation of wisdom. Let's pray.